Isn't that great? I, I love David. I love his story. And, and his story represents, honestly, the story of so many who uh, take kind of the investment that God's made in them and just passes it forward to a generation of kids who are learning about Jesus, as Chris was describing before. And I love that. He and so many others are uh, taking seriously this call to serve in the way that God has equipped them to serve, which is great. And speaking of the serving, um, we need to take a moment here in this service to recognize this last, the beginning of the weekend, we celebrated Veterans Day. And there is a class of people who over their time have demonstrated service at a, at a whole other level, right? Folks who have um, made the sacrifices necessary to see that so many of the freedoms that we enjoy as citizens in this country really are available to us. And so um, allow me on behalf of our whole church and congregation and really city and community as well to take a moment to say for those of you who are veterans or who currently serve, thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you so much for your service. It's deeply, deeply appreciated. Even the opportunity to have an election just like the one that we just had is protected by the service and the sacrifices, right? And speaking of that, somebody has to say something about the election and its aftermath. And heck, I'm up here anyway. It might as well be me. Um, I was thinking about this, and, and the thought that comes to mind is this. This has got to be the greatest time ever in our lives to be followers of Jesus. And that's not really because of who won or who lost or anything else like that. In part, it's because of at least what I see as the backdrop and the, on, and the white noise of, of uh, hatred and vitriol and name-calling and ugliness that we see. I mean, we saw it as part of the election. We see it as part of the aftermath of the election. We see it in our streets. We see it on our social media feeds. And quite frankly, we feel it in our hearts a little bit as well. And the reason that makes it a great time to be a Christian is because against that backdrop, the kind of love that God calls us to exercise and to live out should be just visible by contrast, right? Like if we as the people of God, as we as, if, if we as followers of Jesus would just exercise the most basic entry-level threshold of loving one another and loving others, the contrast to what we're seeing in our general society would be amazing. It would stand out. It would call attention to Jesus and it would make a difference. And if you don't think that that kind of love, both of, of love for our own and love for the other, whoever the other may be, if you don't think that that makes a difference, then I'm gonna suggest that you don't know a thing about church history. Because the first three centuries of the Christian church's existence, they were an, an oppressed, minority portion of a Roman Empire that was, that was trying desperately to kill them and to wipe them out and to wipe this movement off the face of the planet. And in the midst of all the oppression and in the midst of all the abuse and the mistreatment, those Christians, in, uh, those who are our forebears in the faith, they became known not for the depth of their theology or for their belief system or anything else like that, what what they became known for was their love. First and foremost, for one another, which is wonderful and which is admirable, but, but which is not entirely unusual. But beyond that, their love for all, and specifically their love for the very ones who are mistreating them and abusing them and oppressing them. 
And over the course of time, it was that the contrast of their love for their opponents that won an entire empire over. I think we have that opportunity. I think we have the ability. What would happen if this week, you and I and all of us together, um, we did more than look for an opportunity to be kind or loving, but we went out and made an opportunity to demonstrate genuine godlike love for someone with whom we radically and passionately disagree. Someone who voted for the other candidate. Someone whose enthusiasm over the results on the one hand or someone whose pain and sense of threat over the results on the other, we may not even understand. But despite our lack of understanding, we can step across the chasm of misunderstanding and say, I care about you. And where you are and what you're living through and the things that you're experiencing matter to me. I want to step outside of my own enclave and love someone on the other side of whatever line may be there. If we would do that, why aren't we doing that? We as the church have had 2,000 years to learn how to do this. We should be good at it. And if we're not good at it, let's at least get better. Let's do something like that. Okay, I'm done with my rant. Fair enough. We're in the middle of this series, which I really like, Be Rich. And one of the things I love about it is because we're so focused on being rich in our love and the generosity that we offer to the community around us that's in need. I, I kind of love that thought, not just how to, how to make me wealthy, but how to be rich towards others in the life that God has given us. I love that idea, and I love that we're doing it. And just to recap, we're kind of taking as our guide here, the instructions that Paul gave to Timothy as he was instructing him how to lead the church that he was pastoring. And here's what we're taking as kind of our, our main verse here. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so, out of that passage, we get this idea, and we've talked quite a bit about the fact that, you know, we may not be used to referring to ourselves or thinking of ourselves as rich, but we're probably a lot more rich than we're, we're used to letting on. And this passage, as a result, really does apply to us. And second, we're learning that our hope, when we talk about play, where do we place our hope, that we need to place our hope in God and not in anything else like wealth or resources or riches. And we're learning as well, though, that as much as we try to do that and set our hope on the Lord, hope has this tendency to migrate away. There's this migration of hope that just seems to be a natural reality. And the statistics bear this out, that here's how that hope migration happens. That if, that if you had a continuum of, of those who are maybe least financially secure and had the least financial resources on one side over to the fo folks who have the most financial resources and are the most financially secure on the other, what we find, statistically speaking, is that over on this end of the spectrum, there's a lot of hope in God because there's no hope anywhere else. And, and statistically, it's, it's people here on this end of the spectrum who, from a percentage standpoint, give far more than anyone else because their hope isn't in their wealth and their riches and hanging on to them. Their hope is in God, and they respond to how he moves their heart. And that statistics show that as you, an individual maybe moves forward in their financial life and maybe 
starts a career and, and is able to acquire a few things and maybe a few breaks go their way and they make a few good choices and they work hard and they become a little more successful and a little more financially secure, what happens is the hope migrates along with them. And in part, even statistically, the giving becomes less by percentage because there's a sense of, hey, I've got something to lose now. I've got to make sure that I'm holding on to it. And, and the hope migrates away from God and towards a sense of safety of having enough stuff around to protect my investments. That's a, that's a tough reality, but it's one that's natural and every study shows it. And so the question for those of us who are saying, I want to keep my trust in the Lord, whether I'm over here at the beginning stage of a career or, or really struggling financially, or even if I'm over here and successful, I want to be someone who keeps my hope locked on the Lord. And, and I want to kind of work against the migration of hope. What's the antidote to that? Well, Paul goes on uh, and he kind of shares some of that antidote with Timothy as he's writing. And this is what he says in the very next verse. So command them Command those whose hope will tend to migrate. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And we've kind of been experimenting with this a little bit as a congregation as part of this series, right? So we talked about doing good and we had signups and, and this weekend we had like 100 plus people out in the community, helping Truth Ministries get some stuff cleaned up and set up, and working over at the elementary school and just serving and cleaning and taking care, and doing what we can with some, with some other groups who are in need and saying, how can we serve you practically? How can we do some good? We simply asked you to sign up and go and do, and you did, and that's fantastic. I commend you for that. And we, we've talked about being rich in good deeds. And last week, to do that, we, uh, we did something really fun. We just, we took up an extra special Be Rich offering that we didn't tell you about in advance. We didn't plan for it. We didn't prep you for it. We didn't promote it. We didn't let you know until you got here last weekend that what we wanted to do was take up a special offering, every penny of which is going to go right through us and out into the community through some of the really good local nonprofit groups out there that are doing things like feeding the hungry and uh, helping people get back on track and, and people who don't have a place to stay, giving them a place to stay for periods of time and all those sorts of things. And we simply said, without a lot of notice up front and preparation, could you get, would you be in for that? Would you unleash uh, generosity into our community? And I am so proud of this congregation and this church and who we are. Because on, on no notice and in the moment we raised twenty thousand dollars last weekend that's going out into the community in the coming weeks. Now, that's the best. That is, that is such a statement of God at work in us that we just want to move the blessing through and onward and to touch other people and to be good in, uh, and to be rich in good deeds. And then the last part of that antidote, he says, is to be generous and to be willing to share. And, and that's what we're going to focus a little more on today, being generous and willing to share. Because now we're into like the being thing, right? But one of the difficult things about being generous and willing to share is it's more a being than a doing, and that's always tough. And becoming generous and willing to share, it just it cuts against the grain of our natural selfishness, right? We're born selfish, and uh, that tends to be part of our nature. And as we walk with the Lord and follow Him, God works on that and over time tries to root it out, but that's a tough pro pro process and being generous cuts against it. And then there's this thing 
It's just a part of our culture. It's part of our society. This one's not like a moral failure on our part or a deficiency in our character. It's just one of those assumptions that get into our mind about the way things are. It's such a natural assumption that we don't even know that we assume it. I call it the consumption assumption. And it's this idea here that says it's the unspoken assumption that any extra, whether that's money or whether it's time, any extra exists for the purpose of my own consumption. So if I'm really good with my time, and I work hard, and I do all the have-tos first, and I manage my time, and I make good plans, and then I've got some extra time, why does that time exist? Everything about my culture conditions me to believe that time exists for me, and it's mine to spend for my own pleasure. Same principle applies with our finances, right? If I make good choices, if I work hard, if I, uh, if I budget, if I live within the budget, if I say no to things, at the end of the month, if I can squeak out some extra money that's not designated to go anywhere, so I have anywhere else, I have this natural assumption, well, that's just mine to spend on me or on mine as I please. And when God says that the antidote to our migration of hope is to become generous, one of the things that's going to run into a conflict with is this consumption assumption. Because generosity is the is the, involves the realization that that extra, whether it's my time, whether it's my money, whether it's my energy, whether it's my focus, generosity leads me to understand that that extra doesn't just exist for me, but that it's possible that God calls me to set aside a portion of, of who I am and what I have that specifically belongs to others. That's different than we're used to hearing, and it's different than what the world conditions us to believe, but there it is. So how is it, how do we partner with God to keep our, our hope focused and stayed and anchored where it belongs so that it doesn't migrate? How do we partner with God in becoming less selfish and more generous? Well, it's kind of like, like anything of any significance, it's only ever going to be accomplished, right? If there's a combination of our heart and our habits. Think about anything significant you've ever done. Got a business up and going. Um, finishing school at any level, right? Any, any big project that has to happen. There, there's a start that's with the heart. Like, I want to do this. This is important. This is valuable. I'm inspired to make this happen. But the heart is just what gets it going. It's the habits that keep it going. Early in our marriage, um, Rochelle and I, there was a funny, funky little space in this funky little room uh, in our house and that we had to get a couch for when we moved in. But it was a weird space and nobody on the planet made a couch that size and that shape. And so that meant it was gonna be custom, which is code for expensive, right? <laughs> and so I had a heart, an inspiration. Let's pay cash for this thing. Let's save up, and let's not go into debt over this thing. Let's save up, and then we'll buy our custom couch for cash when the time comes. Dave, Dave Ramsey was singing my praises. It was wonderful. <laughs> and we agreed together that we were going to do that, because we had a heart for what that meant, and we were inspired. But all that heart and all that inspiration, all that decision, doesn't mean a thing until the next day when you really want to go out to dinner, and you go, nope, we're not going to do that. And the day after that, when... I had to brew my own coffee at home. <laughs> and there were a series of sacrifices over a long amount of time that had to be made. We had to establish some habits that went along and supported the heart, right? 
You're going to accomplish anything significant. You're going to be inspired in the heart at the beginning, but then it's the habits that you put into place that are actually going to bring it about. And generosity is no different than, than that in that regard. So for a lot of people, um, generosity almost becomes um, like almost accidental. Like for a lot of people, generosity only kind of peeks up onto the radar when, when we say, hey, here's a special offering to meet a special need like we recently did. Or here's a special opportunity to serve others with your time and you can go do it and they do. And that's great. We always want to have a heart that's responsive to the kind of ad hoc things that just kind of come up and get presented in front of us. Of course we want to do that. But if we're really going to become generous people willing to share, which is what keeps our hope from migrating, if we want to do that, we're going to have to do more than just respond with the heart when we have a chance. We're going to actually have to put some habits in play in our life that help us live out a life of generosity that way. Um, the statistical people will tell you that, um, that if you lined up everybody in America from whoever makes the least to whoever makes the most, and you just put them all in a line, and then you went to the very middle of the line, that's called the median, as many people making less as there are people making more, that those people, uh, the st uh, they say, contribute about 6% of their income every year to charity, which is great. That's, a, that's fantastic. But when they look closer, they find out this. Do you know how they do it? <coughs> Accidentally. They hear about a need, they contribute a little here. Their heartstrings get pulled over here and they give a little there. There's next to nobody who's, who's actually being intentional and forming habits of generosity. They're saying, hey, what they're finding out is they know it's 6% because at the end of the year, they do their taxes and they calculate it and they come up with 6% and that's as much thought as they've given to it. I want to tell you that if we want to really cultivate generosity in our hearts to become generous people, that we're going to have to not just respond with our heart, but we're going to have to resp respond with our habits. And that means some intentionality, not just accidental generosity. That means maybe even deciding in advance. Can you think about this? What would happen if instead of just figuring, I guess at the end of the year I'll know how much I gave and where I gave it, what would it look like to step back and go, hey, you know what? At the end of the year, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to. Here's what I'm going to take from what is mine, and make sure that it finds its way into the possession of others. Here's the portion of my time that I'm going to decide up front belongs to somebody else, and I'm going to use it to serve other people. How powerful would that be? Oddly enough, there's something very much like this that we see in Scripture. This sense of not just stumbling into generosity, but intentionally, habitually making generosity a part of our financial life. It happens with the Apostle Paul. He, um, even though he's on all these missionary journeys, he had a heart for the church back in Jerusalem that was struggling and hurting and under persecution. So as he was uh, planting churches around the Mediterranean, he would take up offerings to send money back to the struggling believers back in Jerusalem. And so when he was in Corinth, he told them about the struggles of the Jerusalem church. And he said, I want to I send back a gift from you to them. Uh, and I'm going to go away. I'm going to do some more church planning, but I'll be back in a while to collect that offering and return it to Jerusalem. And so a little bit later than that, this is what he's writing to them as he reminds them. He says, regarding that offering, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. The, the piece of this I want to really focus on, and there's a lot there, but I just want to focus on the assumption that Paul had. Hey, these people made a decision. 
They, they, had all, they had come to a point where they decided in their heart, there's a portion of my financial self that's not going to stay with me, that it's flowing out of me towards others to bless them. And the Apostle Paul called them on and said, that's great. Then he encouraged them to live that out. There was, there was a heart appeal to be sure, but there was a decision that was made. There was some intentionality. There was some habit of giving. And so this is the challenge that I want to bring to us as a church today. To, um, in the coming weeks, months, and years, to not be accidental in your generosity, to not merely be moved by the heart in your generosity, but to put into practice some of the habits that will continue to make you a generous person who's willing to share so that your hope does not migrate off of God and onto anything else. So here's, so here's the challenge. To pre-allocate a percentage of your time and your money that you will give away to others. I know this church. This is a church that is willing to give to others. You've demonstrated it just recently. This is a church that's willing to give of its time to serve others. You do it all the time, and it's happening by the hundreds every Sunday just to keep our services going. There's nothing new here. The, the, the tweak is simply about being intentional on the front end that way. Um, why time and money? Why time and money? Because time and money are our most valuable commodities, right? Law of supply and demand. We all have a fixed supply of time and money, and the demand is through the roof, and that makes them valuable. And by the way, if you want to, I'm very willing to talk with you at some other time about tithing. I'm willing to talk to you another time about whether that is an actual full and complete 10%. I'm willing to talk, have a conversation um, and read books together about whether that's pre-tax, post-tax, deferred tax, whether you can write it off or not. I'm willing to have all of those conversations. I've got some pretty strong ideas. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. That's, that's not the point I'm talking. I'm simply talking this morning about being someone who is intentional and is habitually genuous, gen, uh, generous, who is habitually instituting in their life patterns of giving to others to make sure that they don't accidentally stay with myself. Jesus saw the widow giving her little tiny bit, but it was all that she had. And, and what she gave, though it was, a small, was small in number, was huge in percentage, and it reflected her heart, and that's why Jesus commended her. That's why um, I think it can be super deceiving to assess our generosity based on a number of dollars given. I really do. Because here's the fact. We're a pretty diverse congregation economically. There, um, you know, if I said, everyone in this congregation, let's give $1,000 towards the cause, whatever that may be, there are some for whom in their lifetime, they will never give that much because that's, that's not really something they can do. It would represent the most fantastic leap into the impossible that you could ever imagine. And frankly, we have people in our congregation for whom if you wrote a check for $1,000, you ought to be embarrassed that it's a check that small because of the extent to which God's blessed you financially. The, the dollar number is not a big deal. Percentages are a big deal because that's a reflection more of our heart that way, right? And that's what the widow's might lesson talks about just a little bit. And so I'm going to challenge us this morning. And the challenge I have is this. It's time to have a couple of really important conversations with your, whoever is in your life at the financial and time management level. So if that's, a, if that's family, if that's a spouse, uh, 
if that's extended family, significant others, whatever it may be, whoever is in your financial life, I am calling you this week to have two very important conversations with them and very important conversations with God. With regard to your money, with regard to your finances, I'm asking you to seek God and ask Him. And I want you to ask Him, what percentage of my income do you want me to habitually, intentionally pass through my hands out into the hands of others to bless them. I don't want it to be a guilt thing. I don't want it to be a weird legalistic thing. I want it to be a you and God and people in your life having a conversation thing and come to some kind of conclusion that I believe this is God's heart for us to move forward with our finances and intentionally direct this percentage of our income towards blessing others. That can be blessing them in the community like we've been talking about in these offerings. It can be through this church um, and contributing towards the ongoing life of the church because church is not just North Church, but churches are places where people are transformed and grow in their faith and God forms generous people who give and impact the community in a broader measure. But I'm going to ask you to seek God along with those in your life about what portion of your money, what percentage of your income he's directing, he's asking you to direct towards others. And then gonna, and while you're there having that conversation, let's talk about where it should go as well. Not just a random percentage towards some good work, but man, there are some good works that God really has put on my heart. My heart aches over this condition over there. I'm, I'm troubled by the pain that I see over here. I've got a passion to see kids and kids' ministry meet Jesus and grow up and live a lifetime of following him. Follow the passion. But I would love it if by the end of this week we've all had this conversation with God and we could say, hey, what God's directed me to do with my money is this percentage into these places. And I'm going to do that with intentionality and with discipline. I'm going to form some habits and that's going to turn me into a generous person. Second, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing with your time. To get together with those in your family and those who are in your life and those who have some input into the way that you spend your time and say, hey, what, what part of our time should we intentionally and habitually know that's not for me, that's for others? Many of you are doing this already and that is awesome. We've got a congregation full of people who do. But if, you're, if you haven't, I want to challenge you to do exactly that. Some of you in that, that conversation may not need to last long. It may not need to last any longer than walking out the doors, going to the tables where the kids' ministry balloons are, and setting up there. That might be it. But if it's not that, it's something. And again, this is not, um, this is not to please man. This is not to answer a legalistic burden or feel some kind of weird guilt or pressure. This is a conversation to be had with you and the Lord so that the direction of your time and the direction of your treasure is guided by him but faithfully executed by you. And if we do that, I cannot wait to hear the stories of what God begins to do in us and through us as that takes place. I just want to close with this one last passage that Paul gives to Timothy because it, it shows, I think, the end game of what happens if we'll get serious about taking intentional steps towards becoming generous. He says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So there's, there are rewards in eternity for what we're talking about. But look at this. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I just want you to know, the life that is truly life is not just about eternity in heaven. The life that is truly life is the life right now, right? Jesus said, I came that they could have life and have it abundantly. 
and eternal life, but here and now he calls us to abundant life. In this way, we're going to lay up treasures for eternity, and in this way, we're going to lay hold of the life here that is truly life, the life of loving God and serving others. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your word to our heart, and I want to pray, God, for our, for our church as a whole. God, as we operate together, would you make us better and better at being generous and uh, extending our reach into the community with blessings and with contributions and with good works. And God, for us each as individuals this week, God, as these conversations has had, are had between uh, family members and in prayer with you, God, I want to pray that you would speak clearly, speak directly to people. God, I want to pray that you would divinely weed out of all of those conversations any weirdnesses about um, uh, guilt or shame or legalism or human expectations. Lord, my prayer is that people would seek you and, and you would speak to them and that they would hear you and that you would cause a joyful obedience to rise up within us. Because God, the truth is our, our heart and our hope is truly in you and we don't want it migrating anywhere else. So all these things we put before you in Jesus' name. Amen.